to Art Watch Podcast. I hope you have had a wonderful week. Today we are going to be taking it to Mesoamerica and talk about Kwatlikwe. So for those of you that don't know, Mesoamerica encompasses what is now considered present-day Mexico and parts of Central America. And this region covered many, many civilizations from the Olmec to the Maya and everything in between. So you'll have the Zapotec, of course the Aztec, which is where Kwatlikwe came from, also known as the Mexica. You have the Toltec, Teotihuacan so, so many civilizations. Um, today we are going to focus on Kuatlikwe, which again, she comes from the Aztec Mexica culture, and let's go ahead and get started. So the Aztecs are the latest civilization that was uh, around when the Spanish arrived. So we actually know quite a bit about them, um, maybe not as much as like we would have liked to because of, again, um, the Spanish destroyed many of the codices, um, so much of the culture, repressed it, forced indigenous populations to assimilate. Lots of bad things happened, but from what we do know, the origins begin in the late post-classic era, which is about 1200 um, common era to about 1521, around the time of Spanish arrival. And the Aztec um, had rather humble beginnings, and according to their own stories, they were only a few generations away from foraging bands, all within, all, all written in Nahuatl, which is the language of the Aztec. They begin their origins with the destruction of the Toltec state, or Tula, where refugees established themselves at Colocan and Shifo. The guiding principle was that the ruler was descended from the Toltec dynasty, the Aztecs were the last to accept the Toltec system. And they believed they came from the place called Aslan, the land of white herons, which is why they called themselves Azteca. One tradition states that Huitzilopochtli, which means hummingbird to the left, led them to their new land and gave them the new name Mexico. So this is actually also part of the story of why you see on the Mexican flag, there is the eagle on the cactus holding a serpent in one hand, and I forget what it's holding in the other, but basically this eagle lands on this sacred tree, which you can actually see at Templo Mayor even today. Um, and this is why uh, Templo Mayor is like the Ortenochtitlan, which is like the main epicenter of where Mexico City is actually in currently. Um, this is where the height of Aztec civilization happens. Now, there's a lot of other things that happen within the Aztec Empire, but I won't get into that since today I really only want to focus on Cuatlicue. So, Cuatlicue is a colossal sculpture standing at 3,500 centimeters tall, so that's about 115 feet tall. And she, of course, comes from Aztec Mexica tradition. She's made of volcanic rock, which most likely comes from the volcanic regions of Mexico City. So if you have never seen the colossal statue of Cuatlicue before, you can actually find her image on Google Arts and Culture. You can get some really nice detail out of it, but of course, it's never the same seeing the object in person. So if you are ever in Mexico City post-COVID times, um, check it out. It's fantastic. Um, and the details are just, they're, they're so, I don't know how to say other than crisp, which like, it doesn't make any sense, but it's, I guess, compared to looking at something through a screen, like you lose a lot of visual information than if you're standing in front of it. I remember when I was first looking at this, 
Um, I actually thought that the uh, details on her legs was plumage, but actually they're snakes. So <laughs> back to the visual description of Quadlique. So she's actually headless, but the top, you'll see there are two serpents, they're facing each other, and their tongues are sticking out, and their fangs are showing as though they might strike, so there's like this snarling nature to them. She has really broad shoulders, and they also have snakes on them. When you're up close, it's kind of hard to tell if her shoulders are the snakes, or if they're acting as like, um, like protective armor. It, it's... A little bit hard to understand, but I mean, it, it's just because I am not a Mesoamerican scholar, even though I absolutely love it. Um, so this stylization of the snake is really seen throughout her body. Um, she's got bare breasts that are covered by a necklace made of human hands, hearts, and a human head that rests on her waist, and her waist is covered by a skirt made of snakes that look as though they're moving towards her feet. So again, her legs are, um, they're scaled with um, those snakes and they're moving down towards her feet, which are in the shape of like a bird claw. And it's meant to remind the viewer that she actually feeds on human corpses. So if we're thinking about the original viewers of this, she would have been seen as fearsome. She's very much capable of taking her claws and ripping out your heart. <laughs> And she has a unique display, history of display, and it's linked to Spanish colonial oppression and the later 19th and 20th century embracement of pre-Columbian culture as Mexico began to focus on forming its national identity in the wake of um, independence and then later the 1910 revolution. But that's a whole nother thing. So the colossal statue was accidentally rediscovered in 1790 in Plaza Mayor, which sits on top of Templo Mayor, right in the heart of Mexico City, and it was found when workers were constructing an aqueduct. She's had most likely been buried underground for over a hundred years, and upon her rediscovery, she was transferred to the Academy of San Carlos, where after shortly being studied by the professors of the Orden de Santo Domingo, she was once again reburied under the university patio. Because this was during Spanish colonial period in Mexico, it can be inferred that Cuatlique was quickly reburied to keep Mexican indigenous populations away from their pre-Hispanic roots because this would ultimately interfere with conversion efforts and assimilation efforts. So throughout Mexican history, specifically in the colonial period, uh, the church was forcing indigenous populations to either assimilate to Christianity and convert to Christianity, sorry, um, or there would be dire consequences. And after the initial reburial, she was uncovered again and reburied in the 19th century for European scholars to study her. So she has this constant back and forth, burying, rediscovering, um, and then uh, back again. But in 1823, Quatlique remained on university grounds until the National Anthropology Museum was built. And from the mid-19th century to the early 20th century, Quatlique and other Aztec monuments were displayed by the Mexican government as a way to reconnect with their cultural heritage and reform Mexico's national identity independent from Spain. Quatlique is an important figure in Aztec culture because she gave birth to the moon, stars, and Aztec pantheon specifically the founder of the empire, Huitzilopochtli, and she's the goddess of earth and death. 
In Aztec tradition, she is thought to be a feminine side of the dual god of creation, Ometeotl. The colossal sculpture narrates the story through the symbolic imagery, such as the two snakes on her shoulder representing duality and the skirt symbolic of Huitzilopochtli's conception. So his conception is believed to have been from like a feather and when his sister and brothers found out, they tried to kill Quatlique because they felt that this was um, like a disgrace to them. And Huitzilopochtli was miraculously born. Like he like crawls his way. I think he like cuts his way out of her stomach. I don't remember. I'd have to double check. But ultimately he kills his brothers and sisters and his sister uh, Koyoshauki, who would, there was actually um, like a dial of her at the bottom of Templo Mayor. And it would play into um, her own death. So we still potentially like cut her to pieces. And then at certain times in Aztec uh, sacrificial ceremonies, they would kill their sacrifice and the person would tumble down the temple and it was calculated perfectly so that they would land on Koyashauki. So it was this sort of symbolic um, reenactment of Huitzilopochtli's, like, victory over his, his siblings. And moving back to Kuatlikwe, there's a lot of, a lot of context within the Aztec religion. It's super interesting, and if you ever want to look more into it, most of my research came from the book Mexico from the Olmecs to the Aztecs that was written by Michael D. Coe, who recently passed away, but he's, like, the big head honcho of Mesoamerican, uh, history. Javier Urcid, and my own professor, Rex Kuntz. Um, he's not my professor anymore, but <laughs> when I took this class with him, he was. So back to Quadlife. Her relation to the Mexican people changed because of plays like Todos los Gatos son Pardos uh, that was written in 1970 by Carlos Fuentes. Cuadlique became associated with motherhood and hope for mothers who gave birth to children but were abandoned by their Spanish fathers, and she became a foil to Malinche or Marina, the woman that Cortez raped, and she's sort of, I guess, like pigeonholed, blamed for the mestizo race because even though um, Cortez had many other children with many of the indigenous women that he raped, for some, there's a lot of like history behind her. She's seen as the quote, the big air quotes, the worst because she came from like an upper class Mesoamerican family, but then she was like pushed away from them. She was sold into slavery. And then because she was educated and knew so many languages, she was considered an asset to Cortez and the Spanish. Um, um, and then eventually, once she lost her uh, usefulness, she was cast aside and she's this sort of figurehead for um, the mestizaje, which plays a really big role in um, Mexican muralism and so many other like early 20th century movements. It does play a role in um, 19th century and before, but it's, it's a little bit different. So, because Quetlique gave birth to the warrior god Huitzilopochtli, who killed his brothers and sisters to protect his mother, this play became a way to reclaim the narrative, and it provided hope for mothers who gave birth to children but were abandoned by their Spanish fathers. But the myth itself was created by the Mexicas to legitimize their own patron god and narrates the birth of the new sun, which will rule the new world. And this is why there's the discussion, well, not discussion, it, it's why the sun rises and sets. So it's, it's Huitzilopochtli is always chasing the moon, which is Cuyoshauki. She is also, um, I should say, Cuatlique is also associated or compared with, rather, to another deity, Tlatlaquitli. At Temple Mayor, there's actually this 
huge it's it's a sacrificial area i, I mean it's a sculpture but it, it's flat it's laying flat and you can actually see on that there's still paint residue and scholars and, and archaeologists have been able to track how it, like what pigments were used and how it might have looked in its original context. And so for Tot like Wheatley, when the sacrifice was made, um, the blood would seep down. She also had uh, like this menacing snarl, claws and um, uh, feet that were also claws, like hands and hands and feet that were claws. Um, so it's this sort of common theme in Aztec mythology to have your gods and goddesses be fear fearsome. And of course, you know, these, specifically Teltlequitli, I'm not quite sure about Quetlique. Uh, these sculptures would not have been seen by the average person. I think the only one that may have potentially been seen um, are... Are stones like Koyoshauki. The original location of Kwatlikwe is actually debated just because of how many times she was buried and uncovered and then buried again. So they don't really know exactly where she would have been placed, but for other big um, colossal sculptures like Koyoshauki and like Tlatikwitli, they've actually, um, the scholars at Temple Mayor have actually been able to place where they would have been. So while Tlatlequitli would only have been able to be seen by priests and um, rulers, we don't know if that's the case for uh, Kwatlikwe, which is an interesting thing to consider. I mean, she would potentially serve as, like, again, as a reminder to the average person in that society to keep worshiping and that sacrifice was necessary. Um, that's, that is a recurrent theme in a lot of these. The gods themselves provide sacrifices, typically self-sacrifices, but then there's also the sacrifice of other beings. And I think because of this, the Spanish and even a lot of um, United States and European scholars tend to equate the Aztecs and Mesoamerican and Latin American indigenous uh, societies as barbaric, which is wrong, <laughs> of course, but I think they did this, of course, as a way to, to legitimize assimilation efforts. But yeah, I think that a lot of pre-Columbian art is super fascinating. There's so much to learn and continue learning. Um, but if you are interested, keep looking at it. I know that Google Arts and Cultures has tons of stuff that is available. I mean, it's not perfect, but it's a great way um, to just start engaging with all of these arts. And I'm going to go ahead and end it there for today, just because I know you can only talk about one work of art for so long. But um, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe and download the episodes. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at ArtWatchPodcast. And if you have any corrections or suggestions, feel free to email me. My email is ArtWatchPodcast at gmail.com. And then, of course, if you like what you're hearing, you can always subscribe on Patreon. <laughs> um, I hope you have a great week and stay hydrated, stay off the computer too much. I know we're all doing online classes, but yeah, have a great week. Mm -hmm.